evidence and answers. What questions are youth asking about Christianity? Does the Bible address these issues that they are facing? And is the Bible divinely inspired or purely a man-made book? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. The question of the authenticity of the Bible, Pat addressed at the 2019 Evidence and Answers Youth Apologetics Conference. Now, let's listen in as he presents the evidence for the divine inspiration of the Bible. And the five cities of the plain named in Genesis 14 were found in the Ebla tablets. For many years, critics of the Bible said that the Hittites were a fictional group of people because we had never found anything on them for thousands of years. They said the Bible has made a historical error here or that, you know, it's fiction like all the other religious books. In the late 19th century, archaeologists were digging in northern Syria, southern Turkey, they discovered a great civilization. And they began digging, and one place they discovered, they found, they were digging in Hattusas, and they found hundreds of these clay tablets. And they're tiny, they're about this big too. And when they had them translated, they discovered they had discovered the Hittite Empire. And when they studied the language of the Hittites, they discovered it's the forerunner of the ancient Indo-European languages. And now there's a whole department of Hittite studies at the University of Chicago there. So the skeptics were wrong, and the Bible proved itself to be true. In fact, do you know where the Chinese and the Asians many think come from? I think they come from the Hittites. They've got the ponytail, the curved sword, the pointed shoes. Uh, you look at the armor of the terracotta soldiers and the Hittites, it looks very similar. So there are many scholars who now believe the Asians come from the warrior nation of the Hittites. Here's one, Jericho. You know, even though I had become a Christian, I had questioned stories like Jericho and wondered if they were really true because all my life I was thought it's, it's simply a fairy tale. And as I was reading in the literature, I was told that the dates are all wrong and that when the Israelites came to Jericho, it was an empty city. It was an abandoned city. But they made up this mythology to build up the faith of the people. Well, when I studied the actual literature, I discovered something amazing. Now here is Mount Nebo. This is where Moses stood as he looked into the promised land. Mount Nebo is where Moses died. Okay? And this is the king's road, the same road that the Israelites used to go into the promised land. And the green here, that's the promised land. Okay? So that's what Moses saw before he died. He stood right where that guy is over there looking into the promised land. Now, the first city they ran into was Jericho. According to the Bible, Jericho was a walled fortress city. There is the ruin of Jericho there today. And what they discovered, it's one of the oldest cities, if not the oldest city in the world. And indeed, it was a city with very high walls. This is about a 30-foot high wall here, about 3,000 years old, one of the oldest cities in the world. And you could see that it indeed was a walled fortress. Now, the Bible records that the Israelites marched around seven times and then blew the trumpets and the walls came crashing down. What we discovered as we dug at Jericho is that there's a, about a 10-foot revetment wall here and another 10-foot wall here. Then this is the older part of the city, all right? This is where the poor people live. This is probably where Rahab the harlot 
the one who helped the Israelites, she probably lived in this area here. And there's another 10-foot wall here to get into the inner parts of the city. Well, how did the Israelites get in? Well, archaeologists have studied and they discovered something truly amazing. That the walls of the city, if you throw stuff at the city, which way does the wall collapse? Collapses inward. These walls collapsed outward. Dr. Garstang, who did the original research, said these walls fell outside, forming a perfect ramp for the people. And what was discovered, indeed, was a pile of bricks that were fallen like this, creating a perfect ramp for the people of Israel to run in and capture the city. There's Dr. Brian Wood, who is on research on Jericho there now. Before him was a lady named Kathleen Kenyon, who came up, and in her research, she said the dates are all wrong. But when Brian Wood looked at her work, he realized she had made some mistakes. He's on the dig now. There he is standing. You can see how high these walls are. And indeed, it was a walled fortress, just as the Bible says. There he is pointing to the parts of the wall that indeed did collapse, creating that ramp for the Jews to just run up and take the city. What he also discovered was large jars filled with grain, which shows you the city was captured during harvest time, which would cause the flood of the Jordan that the Bible talks about, okay? The miraculous crossing the Jews made across the Jordan. Second of all, the fact that there's large jars filled with grain shows you what? The city was captured very quickly. If you lay a siege to the city, what do you do? You starve them out. But these jars were filled with grain, showing you the city was captured very quickly, as the Bible states. And remember, the Jews are wandering through the desert, and they're coming into the promised land. These jars of grain would have been very valuable for them to take. Why didn't they take them? Well, because God forbid the people to take the plunder of the city, all right, or to burn everything down. And indeed, the city was burned down. Carbon dating showed that it's dated right about 1400 B.C., the date mentioned in the Bible, consistent with the Bible. Then they found scarab beetles. If you guys saw the movie The Mummy, okay, these are those beetles, all right? And they didn't come to life and eat people. They're found at graves. And what's interesting, they have the dates on them, okay, of when the people died. A huge grave is found outside Jericho, showing you it was a populated city. And the scarab dates end at the 14th century goes right in line with the dates of the Bible. So uh, amazing, the New York Times hey, in 1990 wrote an article, and it said, after years of doubt among archaeologists, a new analysis of the excavations has yielded a wide range of evidence supporting the biblical account about the fall of Jericho. It may well be true that in the words of the old spiritual, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down from the New York Times. Here's another one. For many years, skeptics doubted if there ever was a King David, you know, a guy that killed the giant. Doubted because they said for thousands of years, we've never found anything about King David outside the Bible. No coin, no plaque, no engraving on a wall, nothing. And this is supposed to be the greatest of the kings of Israel? He must be a fairy tale, like Paul Bunyan or Captain America. Mythical figure to inspire the people of Israel. Well, not too long ago in 1993, here in the New York Times headlines, it says an archaeologist, Israeli archaeologist, has discovered a fragment of a stone monument with inscriptions bearing the first known reference outside the Bible to King David. 
and the ruling dynasty he founded, the House of David. Scholars of biblical history said this was strong corroborating evidence for the existence and influence of the House of David in early Jewish history in the traditions of both Judaism and Christianity. And in their excitement, they use words like phenomenal, stunning, and sensational to emphasize the importance of the discovery in biblical archaeology. What did they discover? They discovered this big basalt steely plaque, okay, a big plaque that hangs above government buildings. And they found 13 lines there in Aramaic that you could read. And it was put up about 900 B.C., okay, just about 100 years after King David. And it was put up there by Ben-Hadad, the enemy of Israel, okay, Ben-Hadad of Damascus. And those 13 lines read, I killed Jehoram, son of Ahab, king of Israel, and I killed Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, king of the house of David. Here we have the enemy of Israel naming the house of David, that there was a King David and that the kings of Israel follow in the line of David. It's a remarkable discovery there. Here's another one. When you go to northern Israel, this is Caesarea Maritima up north. Great stadium here where they do the chariot racing. And then there's a great amphitheater here. Okay, the acoustics. Wait, David, you ought to go sing in here. The acoustics in here are just amazing. Well, who built this great stadium? Well, in 61, they found out. What did they find? They found the Pontius Pilate plaque. And it's there today. You can go visit it there at Caesarea Maritima. You can go to the see the original one in the museum. They have a copy out there at that site. And it says, in Greek, Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea, has dedicated to the people of Caesarea a temple in honor of Tiberius. Pontius Pilate, the governor, the man who is responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. So we can go on and on, but those are some of the exciting archaeological discoveries. There's thousands that confirm the accuracy of the Bible. Then we have the Testimony of science. Now, the Bible is not a scientific book. It's written pre-science. But what it talks about, when it talks about the created order, is indeed true. And it has been confirmed only recently by recent scientific discovery. For example, we'll just go through a few. That the universe has a beginning. Okay, Genesis 1.1. God created the universe out of nothing. Now, for centuries, people thought that the universe was eternal. And the Darwinists maybe had a chance because there's eternal time to allow chance and natural forces possibly to create life and to create the universe that we have. Well, what have we discovered? The universe has a beginning. The discovery of the red shift, the radiation echo, the second law of thermodynamics, Einstein's theory of relativity, all point to the fact the universe has a beginning. Scientists are unanimous on this now. They call it the Big Bang that the universe exploded into being out of nothing. Because Einstein's theory of relativity, time, matter, and energy are all interconnected, can't have one without the other. And so the universe exploded into being out of nothing. Well, as Clint shared, nothing produces nothing, produces nothing. But creation out of nothing, what does that sound like? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The universe has a beginning. And we've recently discovered that. And well, but... The Bible had been teaching that since the beginning, that the universe has expanded. Edwin Hubble now, with the Hubble telescope, we have discovered the red shift, that the galaxies are moving apart. Okay, and the farther they move apart, the redder they get. That's the red shift. The universe is expanding, just as Isaiah stated. That the earth is round. 
There were Greeks that taught that the earth might be like a plate that rests on a body of water. But the Bible taught that the earth is spherical. Job says that the earth hangs all by itself in space. Greeks thought that the earth was held up by a large man. His name was Atlas. Indians thought that the earth rested on the back of two giant turtles. Bible taught that the earth hangs in space all by itself. That the universe is custom made for human life. The anthropic principle. Hey, one of the hottest theories out there now. That the sea has paths. Oceanographers understand now that the sea does have channels and paths. The hydrologic cycle. How water goes up in the atmosphere, comes down, evaporates, and goes back up is described in the Bible. That the basic forms of life all begin at once. The Cambrian explosion. Suddenly, if you want to use the dating that's used for billion years, nothing's going on, then 500 million years ago, boom, suddenly life suddenly appears. It's called the Cambrian explosion. Tremendous difficulty for the Darwinists that the species all appear suddenly in the fossil record, and they haven't changed since. Sounds a little bit like Genesis 1, huh? He made each according to their kind. Finally, has the Bible been accurately preserved? I get this challenge all the time. What we have, we don't have the original manuscripts of Moses or Paul. What we have is a copy of 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 a copy. In several of my dialogues on the radio there, skeptics argue, well, how do you know it hasn't been changed over the centuries? Well, this is where the manuscript evidence comes in. How do you know how accurate you are to the original text? Well, it's determined by how many manuscripts you have and the time gap from the originals. The older the manuscripts are, the closer the date to the author's life, and the more you have to compare, the more accurate you're going to be. Say, for example, I tell Justin, Justin, copy my notes. Take a copy of my notes and then distribute it out. And he'll have a pretty accurate copy. Might have a few mistakes, but overall, it'll be pretty accurate. But what if I said, everybody in this room, make a copy of my notes, and when we're all done, we're going to give it to Justin, and he'll compare them side by side. Okay, and then we'll produce the most accurate copy. Which one would be more accurate, Justin all by himself, or everyone making a copy, and then Justin comparing all the copies we've made? Which one would be more accurate? Well, second one, of course. Why? You've got more manuscripts to compare. If five people say, Pat said there are no prophecies in the Bible, and the other 130 say, Pat said there are prophecies in the Bible, you can figure out where the error is. The more manuscripts you got, the more closer they are in the date, the more accurate they're going to be. When it comes to the New Testament, how many manuscripts do we have to compare? How many do we have? Well, we have over 5,000 ancient Greek manuscripts. Some date as early as as the early 2nd century, over 5,000. But if you include papyrus and parchment fragments, if you include the translations we have, the Coptic, the Syriac, the Latin, and all those translations, if you include quotes from the church fathers, okay, in the first 300 years, they quote every verse of the New Testament except for 11. So we could reconstruct the entire New Testament, just from the quotes of the church fathers coming as early as the first century. Put it all together, we have over 24,000 ancient manuscripts from which to compare. And when you compare them side by side, which we can do now with our computers, 
you can get very accurate to the original. When it comes to other historical works that we consider accurate, how do they compare to the Bible? Tacitus, we talked about. He's considered a very accurate Roman historian. How many ancient manuscripts do we have when it comes to Tacitus? We have 20, and most of these are fragments. And the earliest one is a 1,000 years after his life. The writings of Plato, they're considered very accurate. A lot of us had to read Plato, or you're going to read Plato. How many ancient manuscripts do we have? We have seven. The earliest is 1,200 years after his life. When it comes to the New Testament, just the Greek manuscripts alone, we have over 5,000. And the earliest one is about the Gospel of John, the Rylands fragment. It's about 25 years after the life of John. These historians consider accurate. The Bible, they say, is not accurate. Yet we have thousands more manuscripts than other historical works that are considered accurate. There's no comparison there when it comes to the manuscript evidence. Now, why is this important? The eyewitnesses are still alive that can affirm that indeed the accounts you have written are indeed accurate. The fact that we have manuscripts that are so early shows you that indeed the eyewitnesses are around when the Gospels are being spread who can testify to their accuracy. And the closer the date to the writing, the more accurate it's going to be. Now, that's the New Testament. What about the Old Testament? Old Testament's a little more tricky. We don't have as much manuscripts. And when the Old Testaments got old, they ceremonially buried them. How do we know our Old Testament has been accurately preserved? Well, we know that the scribes copied with tremendous care. When they copied, they counted every letter that was there to make sure they were right. Whenever they came across the name of God, they had to stop and do a ceremonial cleansing. All right, so there were a lot of checks and balances to make sure they were accurate. Now, our Bible comes from the Masoretic text. The Masoretes were great scribes, and they put vowels in the text. But our Old Testament is based on the Masoretic text. The oldest one we have is about 900 A.D. Now, well, how do we know it's been accurately preserved? Well, we know that the Septuagint was written in about 150 B.C., but in 1947, we made an absolutely amazing discovery, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's the greatest manuscript discovery in the history of the world. And the story goes like this. Shepherd was looking for his goat, and he thought it fell into one of these caves here. And so he threw a rock in there, hoping to scare the goat out, and he heard jars crack. And he went in there, and he found these jars, hoping there would be treasure in there. He opened them up, and he found what he thought were useless scrolls. So he took some home, gave some to his children to play with, and it says shattered in the wind. He used some to boil a pot of stew. But eventually they got into the hands of an antiques dealer and said, whoa, you got some, where'd you find this? And he showed them, and the greatest manuscript discovery was made, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Nearly over a dozen caves were found with hundreds of ancient manuscripts. Fragments from every book of the Old Testament was found, except for the book of Esther, along with theological works and rules and regulations of the community that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, called the Qumran community. When they dated the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found them to be about a thousand years older than our Old Testament Masoretic text. Now we have a test. And we looked at the scroll of Isaiah. We found the entire scroll of Isaiah. It's a magnificent scroll of the entire book of Isaiah. 
when we compare the Dead Sea Scrolls to our present Old Testament, if there's a big difference, we know the text has been tampered with. But when they mashed them up side by side, guess what they found? It was about 99% accurate. And the changes, the variations were very minor. Grammar, punctuation, and some notes put in by scribes. Otherwise, it was dead on accurate. Confirming what? The Old Testament has been accurately transmitted to us. Second of all, it showed that the prophecies of Christ were written before he ever set foot upon the earth. Right? Christ fulfilled over 100 prophecies made. Some people said, well, these prophecies were inserted. That's what I learned in high school and college. Inserted after Jesus lived. Made to look like prophecies. Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls were dated. And they were dated about 100 to 200 years before Christ. So even if you don't believe Isaiah wrote Isaiah or Daniel wrote Daniel, at least 100 years before Christ set foot upon the earth, those prophecies were down and he fulfilled each one of them. And that confirmed the faith of Christians all over the world. It was truly one of the amazing discoveries that were made. Well, those are just some of the few evidences for the divine inspiration of the Bible. There's no book like it in the history of the world. Well, what are the lessons we learn from this? Well, number one, the Bible alone is the Word of God. It's the only book that has the supernatural confirmation of God. Since the Bible is the Word of God, other religious books contradict the teachings of the Bible, so they must ultimately be false. The Bible alone is the Word of God, so any teaching that contradicts the Bible must ultimately be false. As Clint shared, we go against the teaching of God's Word, we suffer the consequences as an individual, but also as a culture and a nation. Third, the Bible is meant to be applied and transform your life. Hebrews 4 says the Bible is God's living Word. It's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. When you apply the Bible to your life and the things come true, man, this, this book literally jumps, literally jumps to life. Truly, it's an amazing, it's, a, it's the living, that's why we call it the living Word of God. All right, those are just some of the evidences for the inspiration of the Bible. If you want more, here's a great book to start with, Unless I See. It goes all the way from the existence of God, all the way to God and evil, and is Jesus the only way. Well, I want to thank you for spending your afternoon with us. I know that there's a lot that you could have done, and it's great to see that you are here. And I want you to understand, as Clint and I and your youth pastors have shared, that indeed, Christianity is indeed true. There's powerful evidences for the truth of Christianity. Don't be afraid to search. Don't be afraid to ask questions. And there's tremendous resources for you. We've got a books and evidenceandanswers.org. If you've got any questions, feel free to email me or Clint. Tell us who you are, and we'll give you a response as soon as we can. I'm really excited for you. Really excited you got grounded in your faith, and keep following the Lord. We give your heart to Him. He's going to use you in amazing ways, ways that you could have never imagined. You've got an exciting road ahead of you. I'm excited for all of you if you'll give your heart and follow Christ for the rest of your life. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for each one who is here, for the things that we have studied. Lord, we just touched the tip of the iceberg. I pray this whet their appetites to study more and learn your word and fall in love with your word. What they have received equips them to engage their world and culture for Christ. May you use them powerfully 
to touch their friends, their family members, and this nation for your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray you would use them in powerful ways, greater ways than they could ever possibly imagine. Uh, for your glory and for your honor, we're excited for them. Protect them from the attacks of the evil one. Protect their hearts and minds. May they always love you and follow you with all their heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold a conference, please give him a call at 483-0586, or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Yeah.